This morning, I want to talk to you about restoration. I want to give you five keys to begin again. You know, every now and again, we need a do-over. See, when I was a child, we didn't have our heads stuck in our cell phones 24 hours a day. We played outside. And we played wiffle ball and kickball and tackle football and things outside. And every now and then, if the game was close and you hit the wiffle ball near foul ball territory and an argument would ensue, the two teams would agree to a do-over. Every now and then in the Christian life, we get off track. We need a do-over. So if you've ever received a second chance or you're in need of one, this message is for you. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 will also be in Psalms 51 today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul's favorite phrase, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us, reconnected us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. In other words, the kingdom of God is about the children of God reconnecting people to their original intent and design. That is our job, to reconnect people to God and to their purpose, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us not only the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, not through our good works, not through our flesh, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, teach us to reconcile, to restore, and to preach this message of reconciliation to our friends and neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, sometimes we need to do over. Sometimes we need to begin again. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes as Christians, we're in need of a fresh start, a new beginning. What are some of the reasons why we as believers need a do-over? Well, the first and most obvious one is our own decisions. We live in a culture today where no one takes responsibility for their actions. Everything is someone else's fault. It's never my fault. It's the family in which I was raised in, it's their fault. It's the government's fault. It's the people I was around's fault. It's the culture's fault. Well, a child of God has to take ownership of their own life 
and their own decisions. I went through this drill when my children were small where I would make them say, it's my fault. And you'd be amazed how difficult it is for even a child who's caught red-handed to admit that it's their fault. This time last year, I was playing golf with my youngest son, Rice, and he's not here today, so I'm gonna pick on him. It was pretty cold. We were playing, and I let him drive the cart. He's 13 now, but he was 12 then, and I let him drive the cart sometimes, and he's a pretty good athlete, so he's better at most than me. So I was driving up, there was a little bridge at the golf course we were playing, just a little small thing. The cart path was in between these two different bridge sides. And I parked the cart in front of the bridge and I, cause my ball was to the left of the green. His was to the right of the green. I said, son, I'm gonna go hit my ball. You drive up about 15 feet, so you'll be closer, you can hit your ball. Then we'll putt. I walk about 10 feet and I hear, kaboom! I look over, and Rice and the cart are in the ditch, faced up like this. And Rice is doing this, he goes, I didn't do it, I swear! I said, Rice, you're the only one in the cart. There's nobody else out here. You had to do it. So somehow, with the strength of Samson, I got down in that ditch and got that cart out of the ditch so I didn't have to go to the clubhouse and embarrass myself. But we still laugh at Rice to this day because his first instinct when he drove the cart in the ditch and had it turned upside down, but his first instinct was to say, I didn't do it, I swear. And that reminds me of us Christians. We are taught through religion that we can't talk about our problems, our habits, our hangups, that we have to put on this imaginary front and mask when we come to church and pretend like we've got it all together. And the fact is the Bible is all about restoration and reconciliation. In fact, if you tear out every page of the Word of God that was written or was about someone who failed, there wouldn't be much of a Bible left. You can tear out Genesis, the creation account, because of Adam and Eve. You can tear out Exodus. You can get rid of Noah, he got drunk. You can tear up the entire book of Psalms because of David's sin. Solomon had concubines, you can get rid of Proverbs. You can get rid of most of the epistles of the New Testament because the apostle Paul had a past where he murdered Christians. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. And we have this idea that we come into the kingdom, we come into church and we gotta put on our mask and we gotta sound a certain way and look a certain way. And none of that impresses God. None of it. Because he knows what you're thinking about. And Jesus turned the establishment on his head. 
You know why he turned the establishment on its head? Because he knew our flesh would want to judge other people and compare and feel better about our own mess. And that's why he said, we're going to shift from the laws of God to the heart of man. And if you even think about it, you're just as guilty as the person who did it. That's what Jesus said. So we're all guilty, but we're not guilty because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new because of Jesus. So how do we begin again? Should a Christian be involved in that process? I believe the answer is yes. What does the word restoration mean? The act or process of returning something to its original condition by repairing it or cleaning it. The act of bringing back something that existed before. The act of returning something that was stolen or taken from you. The act of rebuilding something to make it better. The Bible definition is very similar. In the Greek, the word restoration means to mend a net. Fishing was one of the top trades during those days. And so they would carefully weave and mend these nets so that when they dropped the net and hundreds, sometimes thousands of fish hit that net, it would cost them dearly if the net was to break. So this was a careful and tedious process to mend a net. And when you restore someone or reconcile someone who's fallen into sin in the church of God, the kingdom of God, it's a careful process. But I can't find anywhere in the Word of God where it says we throw people away. I can't find anywhere in the Word of God where we throw preachers away. I just can't find it. I mean, the apostle Peter denied Jesus and did it while he was cussing. And Jesus, instead of shaming him, creating a Facebook page, and bashing him, he took him to the shoreline and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. In other words, you're not defined by what you did. Get busy in the kingdom of God. Get moving in the kingdom of God. There ain't nothing worse than someone hiding behind a social media page judging someone in a cowardice manner when they probably got more hell going on behind the scenes than the person they're judging. <laughs> Last year, y'all know one of my pastor friends went through a really nasty divorce. It was all over the place. And one of my friends, he's a Christian, but he's, he's, not, he's, he's not sanctified really. He didn't know all the details. And there was this gal we grew up with. She done been divorced four times on social media judging this pastor. My friend, he didn't know a lot. He just called me and said, what is this girl that's been divorced four times judging your friend for? I said, welcome to my world. That's the way people are. When the Bible teaches us that our job is to restore people, God used Elijah to bring restoration to the widow's house. God restored Joseph, who was one of the first victims of human trafficking. Joseph had every excuse to quit, but everywhere he went from the prison to Potiphar's house, he found favor because he never stopped walking with God. 
God restores temples. He restores churches. He restores businesses. He restores people. He restores nations and everything in between. In fact, he's coming back to reign from a rebuilt and restored temple. So he's always been in the restoration business. It's who he is. Instead of shame, the Bible says in Isaiah 61, you will receive a double portion. So how do we go about restoring people? What can we tell a lost world about starting over, beginning again? Let's go to Psalm 51 if you have your Bibles with you. Jeremiah says as you're turning there to Psalm 51 that God will restore our health. If anybody needs that word, just claim it right now. God will restore health to you. It also says God will restore the years that were taken from you, that the swarming locusts took from you. So maybe you feel like, man, I, I've lost time. I, I spent years wasting my life and not fulfilling my purpose. Maybe you're carrying around guilt because of that. Claim this verse. Jer claim it. In Joel, I will restore to you the years the locusts have taken. And lo I love the next part. He won't just restore you back to your original state. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. See, my God doesn't just restore you so you can just get along down the road. My God's going to restore you and give you more than what you had when you blew it. This is what it says. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. Never again be put to shame. In Psalm 51, David's crying out to God. And some of you have heard this story a million times if you were raised in church, but some of you haven't, so I'm going to tell it like it's the first time you've heard it. If you've never heard the story, pay attention to the sin. If you've heard the story, I want you to focus on the principles that I'm about to release because the principles will apply to every aspect of your life, not just sin. But King David is home from the war. His faithful men are out battling. And he comes out on his balcony and he looks down and he sees his best friend's wife bathing, Uriah the Hittite, his best soldier, his most loyal friend. And he looks down at Bathsheba and he begins to like what he sees. And in the Bible, in the Hebrew, it says she was fine. All right? And his lust grew legs and he told his men to bring the beautiful wife of his friend to his palace. And there, an affair took place. Well, he thought that was all it was going to be, but she became pregnant. Uh-oh. So, his first form of resolve was, well, I need to get Uriah back home off the battlefield quickly. 
So he'll sleep with his wife and she'll think, and he'll think it's their child. No one will ever find out about this. Uriah was such a godly and a valiant man and such a loyal soldier and friend that when he came to David, he refused to go be with his wife. And he said, I'm not gonna go live in the comfort of my house and lay with my wife while my men are fighting. You see, David's first sin wasn't lust. It was the fact that while his men were at war, he was at home. You see, sin never starts with just a thought. It always begins with you being in a place or around people you should have never been around or a place you should have never been at. If you stay out of the atmospheres that you shouldn't be in, you won't be as tempted as you would be if you were in the right place at the right time. So he refuses. So David says, okay, I got to come up with another plan. I'm going to get him drunk. He, he's my friend. We, they had probably drank together in the past. You may not like that, but he said, we'll get drunk together. So he gets him drunk. Even in his state, he still refused to go home and lie in the comfort of his house while his men were risking their lives on the battlefield. So David then calls the general and says, put Uriah on the front lines and make sure that he dies. And so lust grew legs, led to adultery, which led to deceit and ended in murder. I've taught you many times the definitions of sin. Sin is to miss the mark. We all sin, every person in here. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you continue in that, then we move in to trespassing, which means now you're in a place you should have never been in, on ground you should have never walked on. And then if you stay on that ground long enough, you end up transgressing, which breaks the heart of God. And if you stay in that long enough, it leads to iniquity, which is evil. That's where we get serial killers. That's where we get pedophiles. That's where we get these sick crimes against humanity. This was a process over time in people that made them the way they are. Sin will grow in you if it's not dealt with. It doesn't get better. It only gets worse. So David is in need of restoration. He's confronted by the prophet. And when he's confronted by a man of God, bold enough to confront him, it brings conviction to his life. And in Psalm 51, we hear the cry of David's heart. First thing he says in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God. You see, restoration is vertical, not horizontal. You see, when we get caught, many times we want to save our money, we want to save our marriage, we want to save our job, preachers want to save their titles. That's not the way restoration works. It's vertical. 
Before you can worry about all this, you better restore this, your connection with God. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. He could have said, my mama was a woman of the night and my daddy hated me. He didn't say that. He could have said a number of things. There were things that led to him being the way he was with women, but he didn't blame those circumstances, did he? He said, have mercy on me, oh God. According to your loving kindness, the Hebrew word hesed, I could preach on that for four days. To summarize all the wonderful meanings of this Hebrew word hesed, grace. Faithful love in action built on a covenant that never fails. Hesed, compassion, love, kindness, grace, unmerited, undeserved mercy and companionship. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. See, there's that word. He knew it wasn't just a missing of the mark. It wasn't just a little sin, a little stub of the toe. He knew he'd crossed the line. He knew he had broken God's heart. He'd hurt his witness. He was the hero of Israel, and he'd brought shame. Wash me thoroughly from my, there's this word again, iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. Wow. <laughs> and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Generational curses. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. Hyssop was like their bleach. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So quickly, five steps to begin again. The first is repent. Repent. As a child, I thought that repent meant to confess my sins. So I spent many years, even through my teens, really getting saved every night before I went to bed. You can confess it all day long. But until you metanoia, change your mind about it, it's not going away. And let's move from sin just a moment and get into the practical. Whatever you want restored or whatever your dream is, you're never going to have it if you can't comprehend it. Everything begins and ends with the mind. You have to believe you can do it. You have to learn what you don't know to accomplish it. Repent is about changing your mind. And when it comes to sin, it's about owning what you did. But in every other aspect of your life, if you need restoration, you need to begin again, you need to start over in a relationship, business, whatever, it starts with the mind. You can speak it all day. I love word of faith, but if you're speaking it and you don't believe it, you're just spouting off words. It starts with the mind, repent. David didn't lose his salvation. He lost the anointing, his connection with God and his privileges as king. 
He didn't lose everything, but he lost his connection. And every Christian, it shouldn't be about these titles. It should be about your connection with God. And later in Psalm 51, King David said, you can have it all. You can have the kingdom. Just don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. I'll give you everything, but just don't take the Holy Spirit. I just don't take our relationship away. Because even as a young man, he knew how to worship God. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. All he was interested in is getting his connection back with God, getting his friend back, his father back, his covering back. Fellowship is restored when we own what we did. Fullness is restored when we confess what we did. We've got to repent. Number two, if we're to begin again, we don't just repent, we've got to reflect. If you don't want to make the same mistake again, you need to have a period of reflection. What got me in this mess? In King David's story, probably should have been with his men, not hanging out at his house by himself looking at porn. That's not what he was doing, but it relates. Discover your why. How did I get here? How did I mess up? How did I fail the first time? What can I do the next time to be successful in business, in relationships, in whatever it may be? Reflect. David did this. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. See, we talk about generational curses, but the old covenant, a, a generational blessing lasted three generations, but a curse lasted three generations too. And after the third generation, the bloodline would have to decide if they wanted to continue in the blessing or to go their own way. But at the same time, at the third generation, the cursed bloodline could shift it and say, listen, I don't want to do the things my family did. I don't want to go in the same direction. I want to have purpose. I want to have what's best for me. I'm changing the bloodline. I rebuke these generational curses. Three generations, and then it could shift, but it was up to the free will of the person. Reflect. Number three, reset. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. All right. He said, all right, I, want, I need to reset. I need to get my heart right and my mind right. My heart right and my mind right. I need a reset. Do not cast me away from your spirit or your presence. I need a reset. Have you ever gotten to a place where you just need calm, you just need normalcy, you just need quiet to get your bearings? You've confessed it. You've repented. You've reflected on how you got here. Now you need a reset. In verse 14 of Psalm 51, he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. It's important here because some of you have never committed a sin like David. I realize that. But these principles are still the same. Deliver me from the guilt you see, some of you, you've confessed the sin a thousand times, but in your mind, you're still guilty. In your mind, you're still a person of shame. In your mind, you're still that person that did what you did. Your mind has never been set free from the guilt and the pain of what you did or what happened to you. 
Your mind needs freedom. If you've confessed it, he's forgiven it, get over it and move on. Move on. Somebody say, move on. Number four, renew. The Bible teaches us in Romans 12 that we're not to be conformed to the things of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you've reflected and you've realized what got you where you are, then don't you owe it to yourself to renew your mind, learn a new habit, learn a new skill. I told our CR folks the other night at their graduation, there were 17 graduates. I said, the only way in my Bible and in my spirit to defeat a vice is to replace it with a passion. I have pastor friends, some are very famous that you know, one in particular had a hidden vice for years that no one knows about, but very few of us. He battled this addiction privately as he built huge churches. And he replaced his vice with the weight room and the gym. So when he would be tempted to go to that vice, man, he'd start, he'd start throwing the weight up. You must renew your mind and replace your struggle with a passion. Maybe God needs to renew your passion this New Year's. Maybe you need a fire lit in you for the things of God again, the Word of God, the Church of God, the House of God, the Ministry of God. Maybe you need your passion lit again. I tell you, I, I respond to passion. Don't you? Fire, breathing fire, man. I want to be around people that believe God can do something, that believe we can have something, that we can accomplish our dreams, that people can get saved, that people can break the curse, that people can have life and have it to the abundance. I don't want to be around a bunch of people that enable, that never own it, that never go for it. I'd rather lose a thousand times going for it than miss it because I was too chicken to go for it. Renew, renew a right spirit within me. And I'll close right here. When you've taken those steps, then comes action. Then it's time to relaunch. To relaunch. Yes, you've taken the necessary steps to move past your mistake or your failure. That wasn't a sin, doesn't matter. You've taken the necessary steps and now it's time to relaunch. Believe it or not, this is where many Christians stumble and falter. They've gotten forgiven, but now it's time to really step out in faith and start that business. Start teaching or serving your church, something of that nature. And that's when fear sets in and shame comes. Says, you're, you're not worthy, you can't do this. Look at your past. The devil's a liar. And it's time for some of you to relaunch your life, relaunch your ministry, relaunch your business, relaunch your covenants, your relationships, your marriages. It's time to relaunch. I love what King David says in verse 13. <laughs> 
He says, listen, man, if you'll forgive me, Lord. I love this because it's a similar prayer that I prayed over 18 years ago. He said, Lord, if you forgive me, I'll teach transgressors your ways. Lord, if you forgive me, I'll speak of your goodness and your grace. Lord, if you forgive me, I'll give you the glory for the rest of my life. I won't take the glory as king, David would say. I will direct the glory to your throne room above. And I'm going to tell you, that's how you know if you're dealing with an authentic anointing. Do they bask in the glow of the glory or, the glory, or do they point it to a savior? Relaunch. We should be obsessed with restoration. The Bible says in Galatians that those of us who are spiritual, when someone falls into sin, we should not create a Facebook page and bash them, not write a newspaper article or read one written by an atheist. It says, those of us who are spiritual should gently Restore that person back to the fellowship. Abbas House, I'm challenging you to be what that sign says we are. The Father's house, a house of grace. That's the message this generation needs. That's the message that sets at liberty the, the captives. That's the message of hope that brings people to Christ is grace. Somebody shout grace. I will teach transgressors your ways. Would you stand on your feet and bow your head? It's time to relaunch. Jesus made this his mission for the final three years of his life. I see him at a well leading a woman who'd been married five times to the Lord. I see people healed and delivered and demons cast out of people who were cutting themselves. He believed in restoration and freedom and restoring people back to their original intent and plan. If you need restoration or you need to begin again today, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me all over this place. Whether you're online, on your phone, in your home, in this house, you say, Pastor Ronnie, I need a second chance. I need a restart, a do-over. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I want to begin again. That's right, I want to begin again. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I will make my mess a mission. I will make my mess a mission to reach others for you. I love you, Jesus. That's right, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I will follow you for the rest of my days. I will follow you for the rest of my days. I'm gonna ask my pastors to make their way down and begin to just reach out and minister. I'll be over to my right, your left, but if you need ministry, if you prayed to receive Christ, you need fellowship restored in your family, relationships, you need to be connected with the church. You want to join, you can come see one of the pastors or come see me. 
But for many of you, I believe this isn't about a serious crime or even a heinous sin. This is about lethargy and complacency that we all battle. I want us as a church to begin again today and remember who God called us to be and what he called us to do. And that's to restore people and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So I just want us to recommit right now. Would you lift your hands? Lord, we repent for where we've fallen short. And Lord, we set our mind on you and your kingdom today. Lord, we commit to sharing our faith in 23, to loving our neighbor in 23, to being faithful to your embassy, the local church in 23, to be faithful to read your word in 23, be faithful to pray in the spirit in 23, be faithful to believe by faith that you can and will do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. We decree it and believe it and declare it by faith as a church. In Jesus' name. Now, prophetically, I declare multiplication over this church. I declare favor over those of you that have other businesses. I declare opportunities for my staff that have dreams, that are speakers, singers, preachers, whatever. I declare blessing and favor over my staff that they will have more than enough. I just believe prophetically some people on this staff right now, they're gonna be so blessed, they're not gonna take a salary from this church. They're gonna be able to give it all back. Can anybody come into agreement with that for me right now? That they're gonna be so blessed that they're gonna serve this church for nothing. You see, I don't believe a church ought to be a prison of poverty. I believe it ought to be a launching point into purpose. And I give freedom. Y'all need to know this. Holy Spirit's moving. I'm just going to go with it. I give freedom to my staff to be blessed. Two in particular, Angie McGregor and Ken Hartley. They've been here 25 years. I don't pay them what they should make. Angie's got a preaching anointing on her life. She sowed a seed last year, and God opened doors. She started preaching. She'll be preaching in this pulpit next Sunday. Not because she's a staff member, because she's anointed. And I want y'all to believe for God to open more doors for her to lead worship, preach. Ken Hartley, for his speaking and leadership. He sows good money into this church. I declare favor over you as well. If you're a hater, got a problem with it, there's other churches you can go to. I honor loyalty. If you don't, that's your business. And I want this church to be blessed. And who am I to say I deserve the blessing, but I don't want the people here to be blessed. I want you all to be blessed. Teresa's got anointing. Jones has got an anointing. Pastor Alejandro, Brad is one of the best givers in this church. Angie and him have businesses. David's got dreams. This worship team's got dreams. You've got dreams. I believe for you that God's gonna make them come to pass. But you got to believe in your mind. Some of you gotta get past your religion and believe it. How many of you say, Pastor, I believe it? I believe God wants what's the best for me. Father God, we seal this with your spirit. We decree and declare multiplication over this house, favor, grace, new businesses, 
protection for families, healing for the sick, and your supernatural and powerful and wonderful anointing for everybody that has the faith to drink from your living water. In Jesus' name. We're going to worship. If you need ministry, you come. Hallelujah.